Uh, Vikings win. Astros lose. Lakers play tomorrow. A lot of good stuff here coming up. All right, so this episode is being recorded Monday night. The Lakers, uh, this time tomorrow, will be uh, just about... Well, they'll, they'll probably be in the middle of playing their first game of the 2023-24 season. Um, they'll be doing so against the reigning champ, Denver Nuggets, on the night that the Nuggets get their rings and um, unveil their banner. Uh, and the Lakers will have the opportunity to spoil that party after a full summer's worth of shit-talking back and forth between the two organizations and those fan bases. I cannot wait for it. Uh, here in a little bit, we're going to talk about the matchup and some of the things that uh, we will be watching for specifically as the Lakers try to start their season out on a positive note. If you are here watching on YouTube, get your questions in and uh in in the comments and i will get to them i think later in the show already have a couple questions um either from the itunes mailbag or from twitter and i'm somewhat tempted i don't know how i would do this on the show here and not make it seem awkward but i'm somewhat ten tempted to wrap this thing up quickly and bug Aaron on his playback show so that uh, because my Vikings just beat his 49ers. So let's get this thing going. All right. Uh, the Lakers and Nuggets is a fascinating matchup here. Nuggets are still going to be very good. Their core, right? That, that starting group of Jamal Murray, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. That starting five is probably going to be the best starting five in the NBA this year. But behind them, a lot of questions, right? Heading into this year, the thought was that Peyton Watson was going to step up and, and, and be really, really important for them, or a lot more important than he was last year. Kind of an underwhelming preseason for him based off of what I've been reading um, about the Nuggets to this point. Uh, Christian Brown is supposed to step into Bruce Brown's shoes. You heard Adam Modest the other day say that Christian Brown is actually a better defender than Bruce, but that the Nuggets will miss Bruce's on-ball creativity, um, especially in the minutes with that bench unit that Nikola Jokic isn't playing. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. They do have a youngster in Strouther who has played very well this preseason that uh, you know they are very excited about there. Um, so, you know, it, it's just going to be really interesting to see, especially in a regular season game where guys aren't going to play like playoff type minutes. I'm really curious to see how the Nuggets look when they go to more bench heavy lineups, given how unproven a lot of that team is, especially at the beginning of the year. Right. It's one thing at the end of the year uh, when their young guys will have a few more reps behind them right or if the nuggets do wind up making a trade to improve some of their depth um it's one thing for for this matchup to look that way in the postseason you know a few months from now or or later in the season but on opening night you know and and given the excitement in that 
in that building, I'm really curious to see how some of those young guys fare in that setting. And I think, I think quite frankly, that's a, that's an opportunity that that the uh, Lakers can really take advantage of in this matchup on opening night um, as their intent will be to ruin that night for the Nuggets, which would be pretty nice. I'm not, I'm not going to lie in terms of like main rotation against main rotation. The, I think biggest advantage going into this game is going to be Jokic against the Lakers front court. Um, yeah, Anthony Davis is about as well equipped as any human being on the face of the planet to deal with uh, Nikola Jokic. That didn't go so well last year in the postseason, and how he responds to that and to all of he being Anthony Davis uh, responds to that and to all of the the, the crap that was talked is going to be really interesting to see. So um, that I think is, is going to be the number one question that the Lakers and I mean the rest of the league have to answer when they're dealing with uh, a, a Nuggets team that has a truly driven Nikola Jokic, right? Uh, he's going to be trying to, to get back into that MVP conversation in the same way that he was last year. And he's that talented a player that, yeah, he's going to be a, a freaking load to deal with. So, I'm really curious to see whether it's Anthony Davis responding to that call or if the Lakers try to do what they did last year and 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 try to use AD in a uh, more off-ball approach where he is helping off of the weak side and you have your Jackson Hayes, your Christian Woods, your LeBron James, your Rui Hachimura's trying to contain Jokic as as much as they possibly can and look saying that the sentence <laughs> having your Christian Woods and your Jackson Hayes try to contain Nikola Jokic that's effing terrifying I would <laughs> that is not something I really want to watch very much of so uh it's it, it, I think it is going to be AD who gets that call initially um a little bit later in the show I have a a a listener who is asking about the starting five I'll get to that then but in this matchup in particular, the Lakers don't have very many answers for Nikola Jokic. But that said, they are significantly better equipped to take advantage of some of Denver's weaknesses uh, defensively, where, you know, last year, Denver was able to look like a much better defensive team. And I think they actually were because AD couldn't shoot, because LeBron couldn't shoot. Because Dennis Schroeder, um, even if he can shoot, has such a slow release that teams have forever to respond to him being open at, at the three-point line. In this case, uh, AD is already shooting the better, the ball better this preseason. That has been a very notable improvement. Same goes for LeBron, for that matter. And then, you know, when the ball last year was rotating around to Dennis Schroeder or Jared Vanderbilt, who isn't playing, we'll talk about him later in the show as well. Um, but when the ball was rotating over to guys who just like aren't threats in this case, ball's going to be rotating over to Torian Prince, a guy who has promised to shoot 40% from the three point line this year and can actually live up to that promise. Um, it's going to be rotating over to, uh, Gabe Vincent, who is a lot more dangerous in those spots than Dennis Schroeder was, uh, the ball is going to be rotating over and hopefully finding a more confident D'Angelo Russell 
than we saw last year, who basically like he didn't really play in that nugget series in this setting. I think he is a, a lot better equipped to deal with, with the Denver nuggets and, 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 and play a much more active and productive role in this game. So yeah, it basically comes down to is Jokic just going to be the destroyer of worlds who just beats every outplays every advantage that the Lakers have possibly he's that good of a player. If not though, the Lakers have plenty to make the nuggets work defensively. Um, and, and, do have enough depth to where if this gets into a game where you have bench versus bench minutes, the Lakers have a pretty decent shot at that. Um, you know, unless Mike Malone plays Jokic, you know, 40 minutes, which I, I maybe could happen, uh, given how much both these teams care about this matchup, I would, you know, I, I you know, I just think there are going to be some minutes that the Lakers might be able to take advantage of what the uh, Nuggets have on the court when their main five guys are not out there. All right, uh, let's go ahead and, and, and jump into some questions here. So if you're in the comments, if you're watching live on YouTube, which, by the way, please hit that subscribe button, all that good stuff, um, and, and you know, like and all of the stuff that matters for, for, for these metrics, but uh, also get your questions in, in the comments um, for the next, I would say five, 10 minutes so that uh, I have some, some stuff to, to work with here moving forward. But first things first, I'm going to open with a question from the iTunes mailbag and a quick reminder, the best way to get a topic covered on the show is to leave it in the form of a five-star review on iTunes. Um, to that point, Laker fan Alex writes, Hey, Anthony, my name is Alex, and I've been listening to your podcast a while now, and you and uh, Aaron really are my favorite Laker media out there. I love the banner, and I love that you guys don't take yourself so seriously. I work a pretty stressful job, and it's always a treat when I get to listen to you guys on the way to work or leaving work. I met Aaron at the Palm Springs game last night, and he let me sport the championship ring. Aaron is really good with this stuff. If you go to a Laker game, at that building, which will remain nameless, uh, hit him up, send him an, a message on Twitter. He will find you. He will show you that ring. He'll take a picture with you. He is very good at that stuff. I'm really happy to see Alex uh, got to got to live this out. Uh, but yeah, I met Aaron at the Paul Spring game last night. He let me sport the championship ring. Thanks again for that. It made my night. To end on the mailbag question, I saw a guy wearing a Westbrook jersey at the game last night. I think I almost vomited in my mouth. What former Lakers jerseys immediately get your respect and what would make you cringe? Thanks, Anthony. Thank you for all the kind words. I really appreciate it. So, I mean, like, obviously, like, seeing a Kobe jersey is 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 always going to mean something special. Um, but in terms of, like, niche jerseys that like really make me go, oh that guy or that person is like they get it they are lakers fans eddie jones is a good one uh he you know lamar odom is a personal favorite pal gasol is is another good one trevor ariza oddly is is a fun one to rock um those guys are are good michael cooper um if you're not going to wear like a magic or a kareem jersey 
uh, to represent Showtime, Showtime, Michael Cooper or James Worthy are, are fun ones. I just I always like people who wear important role players, the guys whose numbers aren't on aren't up in the rafters, but played an undeniable role in important Lakers on in important Lakers teams, right? So the Derek Fishers, the I mentioned Ariza, I mentioned Lamar, I mentioned well, Powell's going to be up in the rafters or is already there. Um, but those kinds of players, right? Michael Cooper and 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 so on and so forth. I think Byron Scott, I don't think he's up there. Byron's a, a good, if you just ignore the whole coaching fiasco, uh, Byron is is a good jersey to wear just from like a player perspective. But those are those are generally like my favorite kind of jerseys. And then from there, you can really dip into the niche, right? You could go with like a Sedale 3. That's that that one went like if I saw a Sedale 3 jersey, I'd be like, dude. I would take a picture with that person. I'll take a picture with anybody who asks for it. But if you're rocking a Sedale three Jersey, that's a good one. Um, so he's a good one. Anthony Peeler was a, a personal favorite of mine. I know it didn't end well because of the one, two, three Cancun thing with Nick Van Exel, but Nick, the quick was so effing cool to watch while he was a Laker. That would be a good one. Um, he's a goat interview. Like he's somebody who I would really like to get on the show at some point. But those are those are the jerseys that kind of I know I named a whole bunch of people. And my brain is like. I have way too much Lakers information up here and not nearly enough important <laughs> information that actually matters in life. Um, but those are the kinds of players that I really like the guys who who helped the Lakers win championships and maybe didn't necessarily get the representation up on up in the rafters. I'm not saying that all of them deserve to be on the, on the level of James and magic and Kareem and Kobe and Shaq and power or whatever, but like Lamar Odom, they don't win that championship without him. And Andrew Bynum Jersey would make me smile. Like those kinds of jerseys, uh, you know, really kind of get, get me going And And, uh, yeah, those, those ones are fun. Those ones would be great. And, uh, that's actually one of the best things about going out to Vegas are the amount of like niche NBA jerseys that you see out in that setting. It's, it's, it's really great stuff. All right. So the next question here comes from uh, that Joey Smith or that's Joey Smith on Twitter. Uh, what would be your, your starting lineup? You good with uh, Prince or with Torian? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this today on uh, the episode that I recorded with Harrison and Pete. I uh, hope you guys check that out either on the pod feed or here on, on YouTube. But Torian, I think, makes the most sense um, as he bridges the gap between effective defensively and also, you know, the kind of spacing that would really make the Lakers starting five difficult to guard. So um, I think Prince makes the most sense there. It's a bummer that we aren't going to see Jared Vanderbilt. I don't think, or the reports are that he isn't going to play um, in in tonight's game. By the time you guys are listening to this on the feed, uh, again, I'm going to talk about Vanderbilt here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I think Prince makes the most sense there. And look, you know, I just talked about how effective I think the the Denver Nuggets starting five is going to be, but the Lakers starting five is pretty damn competitive given, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves really play well off of each other. And importantly off of LeBron and AD 
those LeBron and AD guys are pretty damn good. And you have Torian Prince, who is, I would say, for the first time in the LeBron and AD era. Um, nah, I take that back because Kuz was really good and KCP was good, really good. But he, like, he, you know, since those guys' departure, he's finally a move towards the, in that direction of a floor spacer who isn't a disaster defensively, right? Carmelo Anthony was was really effing good as a floor spacer, especially earlier in the season, but he was a disaster defensively, right? Wayne Ellington was, you know, uh, didn't make as many shots as you were hoping. Reggie Bullock didn't make as many shots as you were hoping, but defenses did care when they were open out there on, on the perimeter um, and responded to it accordingly. It just so happened that neither of those guys could defend their shadow. In this case, though, Prince is a professional defender, and he is really effing good as a catch and threat type player, whether he's catching and shooting or catching and attacking. Um, he is very good at that stuff. And, and uh, he, to me makes the most sense, most sense in that role. Uh, next question comes from uh, Z DM. Do you think the guards will initiate offense more often than not when Braun is on the floor in the regular season? What are the best ways to use Reeves, D'Lo, and LeBron off of the ball since all of them will be at various points when they play together? This is a tremendous question. I love it. Good stuff, uh, Zigu. So I... This is something that... I and a lot of other people who were covering the Lakers made note of over the course of, of preseason is how much responsibility the Lakers endowed to uh, Austin Reeves and to Dean and especially D'Angelo Russell um, offensively, you know, even while, and especially maybe even while LeBron was on the court. Um, I do think that that is something that the Lakers and he have been really looking for, right? That was the whole point in bringing in Dennis Schroeder. And that was the whole point in bringing in uh, Russell Westbrook was to make those minutes a little easier on LeBron from a creative standpoint. Um, tough part is <laughs> that in both of those cases, uh, those guys also made, made life more difficult on LeBron because when he had the ball, defenses just didn't care that those people existed. In this case, though, Defenses are going to care when Austin Reeves is open on the perimeter. Defenses are going to care when D'Angelo Russell is open on, on the perimeter, especially in the regular season. That might change come playoff time because teams are going to try to find whatever way they can to play those guys off of the floor and hoping that they miss a whole bunch and daring them to shoot as they maybe struggle offensively. That's how you kind of get them off of the floor um, as well as attacking them defensively. But But I do think in the regular season, you are going to see a lot more on-ball time from D'Angelo Russell and from Austin Reeves and maybe a lot less of it from LeBron James until it comes time to win games. At that point, what will be nice is LeBron will have spent most of the game not creating for everybody. And when it comes time to win close games, you'll have arguably the best offensive thinker that the sport has ever seen with some fresher legs than we have really seen from him in his time as a Laker. Right. And, uh, that, that is, you know, pretty, pretty intriguing 
to uh, to consider and to think about. So I and 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 by the way, uh, the nice thing about D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves is when one guy has the ball, the other guy helps the other person by way of being a threat on the perimeter to catch and shoot. So yeah, in 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 looking at everything that that the Lakers are capable of offensively, especially with that starting five. Um, I do think one aspect of the offense that is going to get spammed a lot more than it has in years past, you know, is point guard or, or guard driven creation um, that, that LeBron can play off of as a secondary creator. Um, Think about, think like, imagine, right. Just picture this as, as a possible set set. D'Angelo Russell on one side of the court, probably on the right side of the court. Uh, he has the ball up there at the top, and AD comes and sets a screen, and D'Angelo Russell gets into the middle of the court um, as the defense is spread out because on the weak side you have Austin Reeves, on the weak side you have uh, Torian Prince, and that LeBron guy who defenses aren't going to like ignore while he's out there either. Um, and you have big chunks of the court for D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Davis to work in the pick and roll. Like that is terrifying for like defensive coaches are going to find that absolutely terrifying. Same goes for Austin Reeves pick and rolls. One thing I'm going to be really watching for this year are going to be situations where LeBron sets a screen and gets put into the short roll where he gets ahead of steam going in, going against the defense that is down a man. That's kind of terrifying. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I do think offensively to actually answer Zigu's question, whether it's Russell, whether it's Reeves, whether it's Vanderbilt, I do think you are going to get a lot more guard creation. Um, and, and most, the thing that makes me the most excited about it, um, about, about this here is that, even if it isn't guard creation, it's going to be, you know, whatever guard is out there, whether it's Vincent Reeves or Russell, they are also going to enable LeBron sets by way of being threats on the perimeter in ways that Dennis Schroeder wasn't even Alex Caruso wasn't, or certainly Russell Westbrook wasn't this, this, this team offensively makes a whole bunch of sense. And yeah, there are some questions defensively, but offensively, man, I can't wait to watch this team really start clicking as we get into the season, so long as everybody stays healthy. All right. I'm not going to make too big a deal out of this. We are way too early in the regular season for, for, for me to actually sound any alarms here. But we went through basically all of the preseason where... The information on Jared Vanderbilt was, oh, he's day-to-day. He'll, he'll be back at some point. We'll see. Um, and normally, like if this was if this was any other team, basically, or a team that I paid less attention to, um, I would just kind of say like, yeah, it's preseason. It's precautionary. I kind of get it, right? Um, thing with the Lakers, though, is because of how things went with Kendrick Nunn, we are forced to wonder, maybe not worry. It's pretty early, I think, to worry, but we're kind of forced to wonder, are we're doing this again? Like we're 
we're <laughs> you're forcing us to speculate on 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 all this again um on on Vanderbilt has been apparently a heel thing that is sore that is a part of the body right the foot um you know can present long standing issues that even when it gets better you're always kind of nervous about it coming back and and bugging you again um and and again I'm not I'm not there's no red flag here I'm not you know there's zero alarm emojis that I'm I'm sounding here but I do think though given how things went the last time they they carried out this approach with somebody like Kendrick Nunn you know we just didn't see him like <laughs> he had a bone bruise that just lasted forever and I don't think he ever got back out onto the court until he was a Washington wizard. So um, in this case with Jared Vanderbilt, uh, I do hope that, you know, if he isn't able to go in on opening night and certainly if this thing extends like into a week or so into the, the, the regular season um, that the Lakers at some point offer up some more tangible information than uh, <laughs> because to this point it's been, uh, and I don't like that. <laughs> that is and 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 look I, I i've you guys longtime listeners uh would would have have heard me say this before right but the number one uh rule right the top commandment in pr and in any kind of relations with the public um is if you don't tell your story you allow everybody else to tell it for you and in, and in this case, as we have already seen a version of this story play out, we, fans, media, everybody paying attention, Vegas, um, everybody is kind of forced to go like, oh, well, so nothing? Like, we aren't going to get any kind of, we aren't going to get any definition of the industry uh, injury. We aren't going to get any kind of a timetable beyond day-to-day. Because technically speaking, I'm day to day, you're day to day. And and at some point here, I think the Lakers um, would be better served, even if it's conservative, just come out and say like, yeah, we'll evaluate him again in two to four weeks and, and we'll see what that kind of looks like. And, and yeah, eventually we started to get that with Kendrick Nunn and the real red flags showed up with Nunn when you would get to that, like two to four weeks and then they wouldn't update like the reevaluation. Right. And, and um, yeah, like having gone through this once, of course, Lakers fans are always going to be kind of like iffy about this. Um, and maybe I'm alone. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm one of the few people who actually care about this or paid attention in, in this way. And, and injuries do not correlate with each other. They are not obviously infectious or anything like that. But um, I do think the Lakers kind of, generally speaking, um, do withhold a lot of injury information, a lot more so than other uh, organizations, right? Like, you look at how Golden State manages their injury information. They have been, you know, they, they, they use all the, the terminology that is necessary. They, they say what the actual injury is. They provide a timetable. And at the end of that timetable, if the if you know they they offer up information on what the reassessment of the situation is, and and I think it it keeps everybody a little calmer, right? 
And, and yeah, like, you know, I, I, I've been going back and forth with Brian Kamnitsky of, of my old show, um, you know, talking about this and, and the way that the Lakers handle this. And he's right. Like technically they don't owe us anything, but the league also kind of sort of decided by way of welcoming all of the cam gambling dollars, you do kind of owe everybody something. You do owe a little bit of information here um, because people are putting their money on the line as a and, and given the information that teams offer up or don't. And in this case, the Lakers have been very reluctant to offer up any kind of tangible information. And, and uh, I, I just, you know, I just frankly disagree with the approach. So hopefully this won't matter. Hopefully a week or so from now, Vanderbilt is back out on the court and we could all move forward. But until then, and because of how things have gone out in the past, you know, kind of left to go like, oh, all right, here we go. All right, going to scan the comments one more time here and see uh, what we're looking at here. I don't necessarily, oh, I guess, um, all right, so Demetrius Lee on, on uh, YouTube here is asking, why is everyone sleeping on Reddish? I seen him in college. Uh, he's tough. Give him time. We have multiple organizations, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Blazers, and now the Lakers who have given Cam Reddish time. He, um, he's super talented, right? Like I could totally see, and at one point was the top prospect, I believe, in um, high school basketball. He is very, very individually talented. He also might have negative IQ points as it pertains to playing team basketball that leads to wins. And uh, whether that's offensively, defensively, what have you, uh, Reddish really needs to clean up some pretty bad habits that um, like I, I so I have um, I have a few friends, obviously, given the industry that I'm in, who analyze prospects coming up. And one of my uh, actually kind of closer friends uh, is a guy named Brian. Um, on, on, you know, he, he does some draft stuff for Twitter. Um, and he, he always, one of, one of the kind of player archetypes that he gets nervous about are the Cam Reddishes of the world who all of a sudden were like six, seven, six, eight, and maintained their hand-eye coordination and maintained their athleticism and were just destroyers of worlds in high school. But then as everybody catches up to them, whether that be in college or especially in the pros, because they have developed the habits that come with just being better athletes than the players around them, uh, don't allow themselves to catch back up to the players who pass them or the players that they aren't as good at um, as in, in the NBA. And I think Reddish is unfortunately kind of like the perfect example of the, of this theory. Um, I hope I'm wrong. And, and the Lakers have had success in the past with betting on pedigree, developing that pedigree and getting more out of a player that the rest of the league kind of gave up on. Um, but as of right now, I did not see anything in the preseason that would indicate to me that Cam Reddish really deserves a spot in the rotation. Um, all right. So we'll, Oh, we got one more question. Hey, Anthony, this is from uh, Jesus Days. Hey, Anthony, feel like the Lakers are one star big man away from winning the championship. My ideal big would be Laurie or Laurie Markinen or uh, Miles Turner. 
um, who has been on the Lakers radar for like years. The problem with both of those guys is that the Lakers would have to give up somebody to get them. And, you know, are you, you giving up and you have to give up somebody that the other team would want. Right. So like, I don't think the Utah jazz have any real interest in D'Angelo Russell. I don't think the Indiana Pacers who already have too many guards uh, are all that interested in D'Angelo Russell. And yeah, you can say like, theoretically you could bring in a third team or whatever, but that just brings in a whole nother set of desires that make those trades very complicated. Um, and the same kind of can be said about like the other player that you're trying to move there is Rui Hachimura. And if he's a legit three and D wing, do you want to move him for somebody who would spend quite a bit of time as like your backup big, you know, I, I, if you were going to acquire a miles Turner, you would have done it. I think at, at last year's deadline. And, um, I think now that that time is, is behind us. That said, I do agree though, that the Lakers are probably going to need a more physical big to help deal with, uh, Nikola Jokic. Maybe Jackson Hayes develops into that, but he's very slight of frame. I don't necessarily see that. Maybe that's Christian Wood, but also very slight of frame. And he has a very long career now in the NBA that would indicate that he is not that kind of a player. So um, I do think at some point the Lakers probably will need to bring in a more physical bruising big just to like push back against Jokic and have him feel like somebody is actually standing behind him in ways that he won't. If, uh, if, <laughs> if it is, you know, wood or Hayes back there, hell Anthony Davis is really effing good defensively. And for stretches of that time, um, uh, stretches of those games in that, in that four game sweep and in, in that series, Jokic didn't even feel him. So, um, my actual theory on how to defend against Jokic is, is actually to bolster your perimeter defense so that you have enough guys who can kind of pinch in and help and then also recover and recover to other guys, you know, and, and help the helper and all that. Um, I actually think that's your best chance at defending Jokic because I just don't think there is any defending Jokic. Just like there's, there's no defending peak LeBron and there was no defending peak Steph or peak Kobe. Um, you basically just have to equip your team in ways that can take advantage of how, you know, great they are at some aspects of the game and not as great at, at others. And you try to, you know, succeed in those margins. And I kind of think in this case for the Lakers and, and frankly, for the rest of the conference, everybody just kind of threw their hands up and trying to deal with Jokic defensively and said, you know what, screw it. We're just going to um, amass as much firepower as possible and force him and that Denver Nuggets team, and especially a potentially very shallow Denver Nuggets team, a very short rotation Denver Nuggets team to defend us. And um, I actually kind of like that approach from the Lakers as I think they have actually succeeded in doing that. And and it, it frankly makes a ton of sense because Jokic is just, he's just too much to handle. And, and he makes his free throws. So you can't like, you can't just like foul him and hope, and, and, and hope that he goes like, you know, five of 12 from the line. That's just, it's not going to happen. All right. Uh, that is going to do it. I believe. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Nice, nice showing tonight for, uh, given that this is, uh, you know, on the heels of a Monday night game 
and on uh, NBA Eve. This, if you missed any of it, will be up on the YouTube page, obviously in perpetuity. And uh, if you want to check it out on your way to work tomorrow, any, any parts of this that you missed, it will be up on the podcast feed, as well as the conversation that I uh, had with Harrison and Pete today, which was an absolute blast. And, and after we finished recording, I talked to those guys and said that, hey, I want to do more of that moving forward. And they both agreed that we should. So, um, yeah, we are here. This is it. This is the last preseason episode. After this, it is going to be lowdowns. It is going to be conversations. It is going to be substack pieces and stuff. I'm going to an, unveil a stupid power rankings thing to make fun of everybody's power rankings. Uh, that, I think, should air tomorrow before the game. Um, and, and we are back in it. We made it to the season. Congratulations, everybody. Take care. And until the next time, I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a great rest of your day. Make somebody else's, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Go Vikings.